Lord, um, I just want to add to all that Zach has prayed, Lord, that you would just hear our hearts today, God, that you would hear our cry. Lord, you hear the cry of the righteous. You're near to those with a broken heart and a crushed spirit. And God, we want to find hope in your word today, encouragement, Lord. And we do, God, want to look to you in faith and all all these things and everything that we're even going through. So, Jesus, I, I ask for your Holy Spirit right now to anoint your word and that you would speak to us, God, and give us a, a word personally to each person, individually, God, today as we continue to struggle as we continue to keep moving on in you lord we just want to hear your voice so i ask for your holy spirit right now to touch our time in jesus name we pray and everyone said amen Amen. for 40 years since 1981 excuse me the un the united nations have called on the world to observe september 21st as the international day of peace i don't know if you knew that but they have asked countries around the world to cease from fighting on that day uh not to war to to uh, have a ceasefire keeps um, peace to promote peace now on their website they say this i quote peace day provides a globally shared date for all humanity to commit to peace above all differences and to contribute to building a culture of peace i thought that was interesting the way they put it a culture of peace but if we think about this today has it worked has it worked in these 40 years they've started this is there a culture of peace going on in the world well no we don't we really don't see a peace in the world like people imagine it could be well, last September, I was thinking about this in 2021, I kind of looked up that month where they had that day of peace. The world was not at peace. I mean, during that month, let me list to you a few things. The world saw a prison riot in Ecuador. This was last year, September. Uh, coronavirus deaths all over the world. Bombing in Somalia's presidential palace. Shooting at a Russian university with six dead, 28 hurt. Uh, the whole aftermath of the fall of Afghanistan uh, test missiles I didn't know this I didn't realize they were launched both from the North Korea and Southern Korea apparent uh, coup in Guinea and a terrorist attack in New Zealand so you could say on that month when uh, the world was supposed to be uh, having a peace day the world was not at peace in that month of the International Day of Peace Well, it really brings to mind, will there ever be that time of a culture of peace in the world? Is it going to take another 40 years uh, to get to that point? I mean, when will all this end and we actually have peace on the earth? Well, we never will have that kind of peace really until three things happen. You know what? First of all, this planet is rid of the sinfulness of humans. That That's really a core, right? The sinful nature of humans. Secondly, uh, that peace won't come until Satan, who promotes all this uh, evil and wickedness, is gone. And thirdly, and this is the most important, that time of peace will not come until Jesus Christ comes and rules and reigns on the earth. 
And so will that ever come to pass, a, a, a peaceful world? Yes, it will when Jesus returns. Well, today, as we continue our study in the book of Revelation, we're introduced to the time when Jesus returns and he will accomplish these very things that I just listed for you. And this is what we call the millennium, the millennium time or the millennium period. It's the thousand year reign of Jesus Christ on the earth. It's when uh, the Bible talks about when God's kingdom finally literally comes to this earth and Jesus is the king ruling over the whole world. And when that time comes, it will be a whole new world. And that's the title of our message this morning, A Whole New World. We're going to be studying Revelation chapter 20 from verse 1 through 6 this morning. Uh, we finished up chapter 19 last time and we're continuing on crossing over to this next chapter. And here we see a whole new world that's going to be coming in the future when Jesus Christ comes and establishes his kingdom on the earth. Now, I've broken up our passage into three sections and this this is our outline. Number one, the removal of Satan. Number two, the reign of Jesus Christ. And number three, the renovated planet. So these are the things we're going to see and cover here in our passage this morning from verses one through six. Well, let's begin with number one in our outline, the removal of Satan. And it's going to be a wonderful new world, a whole new world with this removal. Satan. That's what we're going to see in, in verses 1 through 3. If you're taking notes, that's what we're going to cover. But let's take a look at verses 1 and 2, first of all. Verses 1 and 2. You can read along with me. It says, Then I saw an angel coming down from heaven, holding in his hand the key to the bottomless pit and a great chain. And he seized the dragon, that ancient serpent, who is the devil and Satan, and bound him for a thousand years. That's stop right there. Now we begin here in verse 1. John is writing here, the Apostle John, who recorded these prophecies and visions that he saw here. He begins writing here what he saw next. And we see that in verse 1, just with the word then. Uh, last time, we saw the second coming of Jesus Christ. We took two Sundays to cover all of that, the end of chapter 19. And we saw that incredible moment, right? When the world as we know it all ends in that battle of Armageddon, which we learned wasn't too much of a battle, actually, because Jesus just spoke and that was it. It was done. The armies were killed and defeated. And we saw all of that happen. So, so right Right after now, the second coming of Christ and him really defeating all the armies, this is where we arrive here in verse 1. John then, he sees this angel coming down from heaven. Now I'm guessing it's some high-ranking angel, perhaps maybe like Michael, the archangel we talked about before perhaps. But he's coming down from heaven and he's probably some high-ranking angel because we see that he's holding holding in his hand the key to the bottomless pit. He has the key that opens and locks the door.
door to that bottomless pit. Now, we talked about that before uh, back in, I think it was Revelation 11 or somewhere around there, um, 14, 15, somewhere around there. But if you remember, that bottomless pit in the Greek is the abusos, or we say the abyss. In other words, it's hell, right? It's it's where the demons were kept when we saw uh, back in the middle of Revelation. And most likely, these keys to hell, Jesus had given this to the angel, because we know in Revelation 118, it says that he holds the key to Hades, to hell there. And so the angel has the keys, and he also is holding, we read here in verse 1, a great chain. Now it's great because this is this is a, a special chain. It's a super strong chain and it's specially made for Satan himself. So you can imagine it's not like some physical chain. There, there's something with it, with these properties, right? Because Satan is really this fallen angel, right? This being in that way. But somehow this chain is going to hold Satan. It's like handcuffs for him. So this is the angel, some high-ranking angel coming down and holding a key and this great chain. Now what does he do? Well, he seizes, verse 2, the dragon. Now the dragon is who? It's Satan, right? We've learned that. Uh, he's In the book of Revelation, he's referred to as the dragon because he's fierce. He's vicious. He's, he's not to be messed with. He's, he is a very powerful being, being that he is an angel, a fallen angel. And so here is, otherwise aka, otherwise known as uh, the Satan otherwise known as the dragon as we have seen in the book of Revelation. But a.k.a. Uh, John adds here that ancient serpent. He's also called the ancient serpent. Well, that's because it refers to back to Genesis chapter 3 all the way to the beginning when Satan first tempted Adam and Eve to sin and go against God, to doubt God, to go against God. When the first sin happened, and he's the one who brought in, right, this first sin into the world and brought this whole struggle and battle ever since. So here's this dragon, as we know in the end in Revelation, a.k.a. the ancient serpent, referring to Satan once again from the beginning in Genesis, who's brought all this sin into the world. And then the angel here in verse 2 says, who is the devil, a.k.a. the devil. Remember we learned that in Revelation 13, the devil, the word devil actually means slanderer. He's the one who slanders God. He's the one who slanders Jesus. He slanders the Holy Spirit. And we learn he even slanders Christians. So here's this guy, this wicked, this devious guy, this slander. And this is the one that the angel sees. And then it says in verse 2, And Satan, uh, Satan actually means adversary. And he's the opposer of God, the enemy of God's people. Now he is seized now. This is Satan. So here's this angel coming out with the keys to hell and a great chain to, to handcuff him, to, to bind him, right? This angel comes out and is tasked to take Satan into custody and imprison him in hell. 
So let's stop for a moment. The last two weeks I talked about while well, we come to this moment, the end of the world as we know it, Jesus Christ is coming. Well, this is another incredible moment that we are reading about right now in these two verses. This is the moment when Satan gets what is, is to come to him. This is the moment for all his evil and his rebellion against God throughout all the ages He's going to get now what he deserves. It's all going to be done with. You know, we saw last week that his unholy trinity, remember I called that uh, the Antichrist, a false prophet and himself Satan. It was all broken up, right, by the defeat, by that spoken word of Jesus. In Revelation 19, verse 20, we saw the beast, a.k.a. the Antichrist, and his assistant, that false prophet, were thrown alive into the lake of fire. So they're thrown into hell there. And now this is the moment when that Satan, the devil, yeah, the ancient serpent, the one who brought all this sin and evil and causing all of this, he is finally thrown into hell and he joins the other guys in hell. This is that moment. The evil political leadership in the world is gone. The Antichrist is done. The evil spiritual leadership in the world is gone. The false prophet. And now the evil one behind it all, he's done. He's done for. And now comes really a whole new world. That's our, our title. So notice here now in verse 2, once again here in Revelation 20. So the angel seized the dragon. He grabbed them. He probably threw his chain on him. He, 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 he threw him into hell and he bound him. And it says here in verse 2, he bound him for a thousand years. Now, the thousand years, we're going to see those two words come up in our passage many times. And a thousand years is a thousand years. The, 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 this is what we call the millennium. This period of time is the millennium. Now, the word, our English that we use, the millennium, it comes from the two Latin words, mille, which mean a thousand, and annum mean years. So, millennium, one thousand years. So, Satan is bound now for. 1,000 years during the whole course of the millennium. And we see that in verse 3. Look at verse 3. And threw him, the angel threw him into the pit that the bottomless pit is, the lake of fire, hell, and shut it and sealed it over him so that he might not deceive the nations any longer until the thousand years were ended. After that, he must be released for a little while. So the angel binds him with the chain, throws him in, shuts the door, seals it, locks it with the keys in his hand, and he's sealed in there. He cannot get out. He's done. There's no way he can get out. And, And we see, there's a comment here, so that... Satan might not deceive the nations any longer. Remember, he was the one who deceived the nations we were reading in during the tribulation. He was the one who empowered the Antichrist and set the, sent the demons out to get them to do Satan's bidding and bringing all the armies to armor and get it. No longer will Satan be able to deceive the world into worshiping the Antichrist, into taking the mark, into giving allegiance to the Antichrist. No more can he scam the world doing his will and accomplishing his plans and his purpose no more 
Satan's done. But notice something here in verse 3. It says, uh, deceive the nations any longer. At the end it says, until the thousand years were ended, after that he must be released for a little while. Now if you're reading this, you might be thinking, for the first time, you're probably thinking, wait, what? I thought he's done. I thought this is it. He's, 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 you know, I thought Satan was going to be done for. But what? After a thousand years, he's going to be released? That he must? I think that's the interesting word there in our Bible, that he must be released. What? What's this? Wait, wait. God, wait. Wait, why not just get rid of him altogether, right? Why not just, just end it all? Why, at the end of the millennium, thousand years, you know, why let him go? What, what's going on? What's going on here? Well, we have to understand God has a plan in all this. So we got to trust God in that. And you know why he does that? I'm going to tell you next week. Seriously, I am. <laughs> We're going to get into that more next week in the next section. We're going to really get into the detail. But let me say this much, so at least you have a little closure today. Uh, it will be really one last test for humanity. That's what it's going to be. But come back next week in our next section in Revelation chapter 20. We're going to get into that. But we see Satan basically, for now, Satan will be incarcerated, right, for 1,000 years. And this is the time of the removal of Satan. That's our heading in our outline. Now, a few years back, I just want to get your mind um, kind of an idea of, 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 uh, of what's been going on all this time. A few few years back, we, we started to understand what's coming in the future by first studying. Remember, we studied the book of Daniel. Then we studied the book of First and Second Thessalonians. And now we got into the book of Revelation and we're, we're getting there. We're getting to the end here. But putting it all together, I just want to help you kind of get an idea of, of what's what's going on what's going to happen in the in the future and so we find this timeline this timeline we learn the rapture will happen first in first Thessalonians chapter 4 uh, we studied that I mentioned also the attack on Israel Gog and Magog uh, the, the northern Muslim nations with Russia Ezekiel 38 39 which we see so much stuff going on right now and then after that the rapture the attack on Israel and the rapture can happen around that but I believe it will be before the attack because we don't know when that's going to happen. If the attack is happening, then I kind of thinking, well, it's going to happen any moment because uh, right after that, when Russia and those Muslim nations from the north are defeated, then there's a power vacuum and then the Antichrist is going to rise up, which is the beginning of the tribulation years, the seven years of tribulation. We talked about that here in the book of Revelation from chapter 6 to chapter 18 all the way to the end. Uh, here in chapter 19. Also in the book of Daniel, we went through the prophecies of the 70 weeks of Daniel. So we have the rapture, the attack on Israel, and then the seven years of tribulation. Then at the end of the tribulation come the return of Jesus Christ, and we just studied that last two weeks in Revelation 19. And now in, in Revelation 20 is the millennium. So you kind of get that timeline. We have the rapture, the attack on Israel, and God saves them. Then we have the seven-year tribulation, the rise of the Antichrist, the last seven years of the world as we know it. And then the return of Christ, His second coming, at the end of the tribulation. And then now we come to the millennium. 
And that's the thousand year reign of Christ. After that, we'll see in Revelation 21, there's a new heaven and earth and and it just keeps going on into eternity in that way. And with that in mind, understand as we talk about the millennium, I do want to bring this up. Uh, what, What I feel and what I believe in Calvary Chapel too, in how we interpret uh, eschatology, the end time events and all this, and, and the millennium, we, we believe in what is called premillennialism. That means that Jesus comes, he returns before the millennium. So at the end of the seven years, Jesus returns, sets up his kingdom, and we move into the millennium, the thousand-year reign of Christ. So he comes before the millennium, after the tribulation. And that's premillennialism. And so we actually, uh, you can say, we see things get worse before they get better. There's, after, there's also another view, it's called post-millennialism, where they say Christ actually comes at the end of the thousand years. So there's a tribulation, there's the uh, a thousand year, there's all those things. And how they come to that, they, they, they don't take literally a lot of the things that we have studied. And, you know, our first, when we study prophecy, our first view is to look at it literally, and then we can take it as an analogy or a picture if it doesn't really fit literally but they don't they see it all more like figuratively and so they they, they kind of look at it more as well we have to in the the millennium is like we're, we're kind of moving into we got to christianize things now we got to bring in the kingdom now and so their view is more like things get better and better and then better when Christ returns so that's post millennialism and lastly, there, there's some who hold to all millennialism, all meaning against millennialism. In other words, everything, uh, there isn't really a literal thousand-year reign, all of that tribulation, it, it, it's been in the past. And they look at everything very figuratively, even to the point where, uh, well, God's done with Israel. Whenever you read Israel in the New Testament, it's talking about the church. It's not really talking about the Jews. God's done. And so, so they really take everything figuratively and they say well you know Jesus has already come and he rules right now and and he's done this or is working in the church and so basically they say things just stay the same so we have premillennialism where things get worse before they get better postmillennialism where things get better and better and better and all millennialism where well things are just going to go on things things are the same but Post-millennialism, where it's all figuratively, where Jesus comes at the end of the millennium. All-millennialism, where uh, uh, well, no, Jesus has already come. It doesn't make sense to me. And one of the key things for me is what we're learning here. For we learn here that Satan is bound for a thousand years, and then he's loosed. So, so you understand, for me, I mean, of course there's other things and we've talked about that I believe in, in a preacher rapture and, and even here premillennialism. One of the things here is, well, this doesn't make sense because if we're in the millennium already, yeah, then you know what? Satan sure has a long, long chain. Yeah. 
Well, here's the first thing that I want you to see in this removal of Satan. And, and this is what this millennium is about. When Jesus returns, Satan is no longer allowed to run free and influence the world to do evil. And, and that's what we're really seeing here. So in the millennium, when Jesus returns and sets that up, Satan, he's no longer allowed to run free and influence the world to do evil. And of course, that's for a thousand years. And again, we're going to look at that uh, next week. But do you see this moment we're at? Do you see how amazing this is? That the devil is no longer allowed to run free now. Yeah, Do his evil. Influence the world to do evil, even with that. You know, I think about this in Ephesians chapter 2, verse 2, and this is the NLT version. It says, you used to live in sin just like the rest of the world, obeying the devil, the commander of the powers in the unseen world. He is the spirit at work in the hearts of those who refuse to obey God. Isn't that crazy? That's his influence. Yeah, That's what we saw in Genesis. He's influencing and tempting people to go against God like Adam and Eve and continue in sin against God. First uh, John 5.19 says, We know that we are from God and the whole world lies in the power of the evil one. Isn't that crazy? He's running free right now influencing. Um, he's powerful, using his powers to, to move the world and do things in the world. And then look at this scripture. Turn to 2 Corinthians chapter 4. 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 4. 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 4. 2 Corinthians 4, 4, it says, In their case, the God of this world, that's talking about Satan, the devil, the God of this world has blinded the minds of the unbelievers to keep them from seeing the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ, who is the image of God. Isn't that heavy? Satan's there blinding people to God. To, to Jesus Christ, to salvation, to who He is. And that's why you guys, we got to be in prayer. We, we, we got to pray for our lost and, you know, our loved ones and, and those we care about so much or we work with or our neighbors. So we got to pray because they're blinded. And we got to pray that their eyes will be open to the truth of Jesus Christ and be saved from going through all this stuff in the tribulation. So, it, it, it's it's sad, but it's the reality of Satan doing all this now. All of that is today, but you know what? Soon in the future, there'll come a time when the devil will no longer run free and influence this world and bring evil into the world. Think about that. That's going to be amazing time, the millennium. The removal of Satan. No more oppression, you guys. No more oppression. You ever feel that oppression? You know, like some depression or discouragement or just, just this feeling of sadness, sadness or something. like. I don't know why. And then all of a sudden, this is what I feel. All of a sudden, I wake up and it's gone like that. 
Nothing's changed. I feel like that's a spiritual attack. I feel like that's Satan just oh, trying to get you to give up on the Lord. Think about that. This is going to be in a millennium amazing time. None of that. No more oppression. No more spiritual warfare. Yeah? No more of that. The temptation and the push to do what your flesh wants. Yeah? No more. And no more deception and demonic influences. Yeah? I, you just see so much of that in the world. You look in the news today and you, you look how the world is spinning and going and moving towards things and how I believe Satan's using the media and social media and, and all kinds of things to change the thinking of people. I, I was recently listening uh, to this podcast and um, this interview was talking to a guy who 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 is confronting like Google and, and the search hits and, and how uh, he is cataloged, how that changed people's thinking like in, in the election in, what was that, 2016. Yeah. Um, it, it's crazy how the internet and search hits and for undecided people, how they're manipulating and putting into the mind things by the search hits that first come up when you search something. But no more of that. No more deception. No more demonic influences. Have you been under spiritual attack lately? Maybe you, you, you're feeling that fog of things sometimes. Um, you know, one main thing I, I just I feel like I want to put out is one main thing is the devil wants to keep you from the Word of God. We know Ephesians six seventeen part of the armor of God is the sword of the Spirit, which is what the Word of God. That's the only offensive weapon, you know, that we have. All the other ones is more defensive. But that one thing, that weapon we can hold in our hands is the Word of God. And Satan wants to keep you from the power of God working in your life. So he likes to do everything he can to keep you from being in the Word, from keep you from coming to church and studying the Word, to keep you from daily reading your Word, daily having devotions with God, to keep you from the Word because he knows how powerful it is and he has a lot of tactics a lot of strategy oh I'm going to church oh something happens right oh I don't feel like waking up today or 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 maybe when you open your Bible in the morning suddenly oh you get those phone calls or you get interrupted here or your mind starts spinning you know I mean, he wants to keep you so stay alert to his tactics and strategy he wants to keep you away from what is important Along those lines, I was reading this story how during the time of the Soviet Union, uh, the Soviet Union, uh, an official was asked why Bible study, yeah, getting together, studying the Bible, was not allowed and why there was severe punishment for those who gave away Bibles and distributed Bibles. Well, the answer was this from the official. We find that the reading of this book changes people in a way that is dangerous to our state crazy, yeah, back in the Soviet Union time. Well, I'm thinking that's like the devil. That he he knows that reading the Bible is dangerous to his plans, to his world right now, to his purposes, to his will. And so he strategizes, he attacks, he comes against his believers and keeps us away from this book right here. But we have hope. This will all change in the millennium. 
And it will be a whole new world with the removal of Satan. Well, let's go to number two in outline. The reign of Jesus Christ. The reign of Jesus Christ. Here we're just going to look at uh, Revelation 20, verse 4. Just verse 4. It says here, take a look. Then I saw thrones, and seated on them were those to whom the authority to judge was committed. Also I saw the souls of those who had been beheaded for the testimony of Jesus, and for the word of God, and those who had not worshipped the beast or its image, and had not received its mark on their foreheads or their hands. They came to life and reigned with Christ for a thousand years. There's that thousand years. There's that millennium once again. So we'll stop there. And in, what we really see are overall this idea of the reign of Christ, this new government here. And so first of all, John sees here, he says, then next he saw these thrones, these positions for these leaders, the leadership. And, and they sit on these thrones. They have this position, uh, they were those who had the authority to judge. Uh, they were the one who, who were uh, committed or tasked to be judges and lead in that way. And we see at the end of verse 4, for uh, they will reign with Christ a thousand years. So, so these are judges. This is the leadership in this new government. This is part of the administration, you can say, of Jesus when he comes to be king over the world. So who are these guys? Who are these judges? Well, let me give you three groups. Actually, there's four. But the first three is this. First of all, they are the Old Testament saints who believe in Jesus. We find that in Daniel chapter 7, verse 27, speaks about that. Secondly... Uh, part of this administration, these judges, are the 12 apostles. Jesus promised them in Matthew 19, 28, that they will sit and judge, that they will rule and reign. And also, these judges included are New Testament believers. And I say New Testament in the sense of after Jesus died and rose again. And, and that includes us, all of us who believe in Christ and our saved, we actually become judges. First Corinthians six two. We actually reign with Christ, even it says in Second Timothy two twelve. And so these are also believers who have died in the past ages uh, from the New Testament on, and who believed in Jesus and us who uh, well, either if we die before the rapture happens or we go up in the rapture. Yeah. Either way, we are part of this, these believers, the apostles and the Old Testament saints that are going to, and I've talked about this before, rule and reign with Jesus Christ. So you know what? That, that's you and I. We're going to be part of this new administration of Jesus Christ. Now, it's not only us, but we read here in verse 4, it goes on, Also, John saw the souls of those who've been beheaded for the testimony of Jesus. Who's these guys? These guys are joining in in that position, sitting on these thrones. Who are these? Well, we know these guys as the tribulation saints, right? Those who have come to believe in Jesus, they gave their life to Jesus after the rapture and during the tribulation years. So we call them tribulation saints. So these guys, they've been beheaded 
Yeah, I mean, I, that's probably what's going to happen because we're reading it here because they held to their testimony of Jesus. That they held to, the Antichrist is not to be worshipped. It's Jesus Christ who is to be worshipped. They stood for Jesus and they were beheaded and they were beheaded because they would not let go of the word of God and they believed in the truth here in the word of God. So they were killed for not worshipping the beast, not receiving the mark, which remember we learned it's an it's it's a, a sign of allegiance to the Antichrist that you acknowledge him as God to be worshipped. They would not do that. So they were killed. But these same tribulation saints also join the ranks to rule and reign with Jesus. Now, at the very end of verse 4, there's an interesting thing we read here. It says, they, which is the tribulation saints, came to life and reigned with Christ for a thousand years. So they're part of the ministration. But this isn't this an interesting phrase? They came to life. What, the, what does that mean? Right? We saw the tribulation saints in heaven, and those scenes in heaven, I mean, their souls are alive. It's not like they're not, you know, there or, or, or at all with God and with all of us in heaven. But remember we learned back in Revelation chapter 6 when we, when we first saw the tribulation saints under the altars, verse 9 in Revelation 6, there's something different about them from the believers. And I talked about this very thing and I referenced this verse. You see, the tribulation saints did not receive their glorified bodies yet. But it's at this point when Jesus returns and he commissions all believers and then takes the tribulation saints and commissions them also to rule and reign with them to be part of the administration of Jesus to, to judge. That's when these guys come back to life. In other words, they were given their glorified bodies at this time. We understand in our studies in 1 Thessalonians 4 that in the rapture, uh, uh, Thessalonians 4, 16 and 17, remember that at, at, at the trumpet of God, right? What do we read? The dead in Christ shall rise first, right? Those believers who die, they'll receive their glorified bodies and they'll come to life. They'll get their glorified bodies. And then we who remain will be caught up with them talking about will our bodies will change and we'll get our glorified bodies like that yeah in the twinkling of an eye first Corinthians and we'll have our glorified bodies so in those scenes of heaven of the church yeah they have we have our glorified bodies already but not the tribulation saints who have died and gone to heaven not just yet that's in, why they're in this different area in Revelation 6 but here's the moment where they finally get their new bodies and so in God's plan these are given new bodies at this time and so all together we will be ruling and reigning with Christ and and really all of this comes to this point when Jesus returns to set up his millennial kingdom believers will be part of the new government that, that's the, the simple truth that we're reading here. All believers, tribulation saints, Old Testament saints, apostles, all of us, we're going to be part of this new government in this millennium time when Jesus comes and sets up his kingdom. Now, 
I was thinking about this. You know, I'm not a person who ever wanted to be in government. <laughs> I don't. I, I don't have any desire for politics. I don't. Have, I don't like you know what goes on there. I don't. You know, we see the manipulation, the deals, all this. You know, all this kind of crazy stuff, and uh, we see how corrupt. I didn't. I don't. I have no desire to be you know in in government. And so when I read this, sometimes I. I, I mean, I was thinking you know to hear. Oh, we're going to rule and reign with Jesus. You know, it's not like, oh, great, you know, <laughs> kind of thought. Plus, you know, for me too, especially as I grow older in life and 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 as I, you know, older in Jesus Christ, you know, I, I look back in my younger years and I think about how foolish I've been in many things. How immature I've been. Even being a Christian, even holding to truths of God about how I handle things. You know, the, the, the immaturity, you know, spiritual immaturity I have, like lack of mercy or holding to only my way of thinking, you know, or, or me, having really me the center, yeah? I mean, I look back, I, I, I know I haven't been the best husband or the best father or, or even a pastor, spiritual leader, you know? And so I'm, I'm thinking, oh, we're going to rule and reign with Christ, Lord? I, I don't know. I'll, I'll just take a little lower position here. And I think about, I, I don't know. I'm, I'm kind of insecure about it, actually, <laughs> you know, when I think about it. And I'm not into this being in government and all this. And maybe you feel the same thing. And maybe you never even thought about this when, wow, we're going to rule and reign with Christ. Oh, well, okay, yeah. Oh, but, you know, it's like, nah, whatever, okay, whatever you want, Lord, you know, type of thing, right? You know, because I think, what if I fail God? What if I make mistakes, you know, like I have in my life, you know? Um, I'm, I'm more like someone, I'll just serve, yeah? Some of you guys tell me that, well, I don't want to be up front. I just, I just want to be in the back and just serve, you know, kind of thing. But you know, when we learn and we're reminded here about the glorified bodies that the trib saints, you know, tribulation saints got, and that we're going to have our own, and I stopped and I thought about, oh, I don't have to worry. Because you know what? Well, first of all, if God calls us, He's going to help us do it, right? We understand that. But secondly, when we are part of this new administration of the new government, we're going to have our glorified bodies. You know what that means? No more sinful flesh. No more sin, you guys. That we will be perfected at that time. That uh, Philippians 1, right? He will. He's faithful to complete His work. We're going to be completed. And so all my insecurities went away thinking, Oh, Lord, thank you that you're going to equip me for all of that. So remember this today. As, we, as we're heading toward that time, that, you know what, God has started a work inside us, right? Ephesians 2, we, 10, we are His workmanship, created in Christ Jesus beforehand, right? To do His good works, yeah? To, to do His will, to accomplish His purposes. That's His promise. And He's working in our life right now. And the, the goal is when we get our new body, we'll be completed, at that moment, but he's moving us in that direction as he's changing us daily. So I appeal to you guys, let's move with him as he moves in our life to mature us into where we're heading toward.
So let's grow, you guys. Let's grow. Don't be lazy about it. Don't say, oh, I'll just get my new body. I'll just live the way I want. No. That's not God's will, and that's not what He's purposing in your life today. Because He's getting you ready and preparing you for that day when we will have our glorified bodies, and we're going to be ruling and reigning with Him. So this is the reign of Jesus Christ, and we're going to be part of it. And it will be a whole new world. Let's go to number three, our last heading, the renovated planet. The renovated planet. We're going to cover the last two verses, verse 5 and 6 for this morning. We've seen the removal of Satan, the reign of Jesus Christ, and how we're going to reign with him. And then the renovated planet, the renovated planet. So another thing we're going to see in the millennium is this, verse 5. The rest of the dead did not come to life until the thousand years were ended. This is the first resurrection. We'll stop right there and focus in on verse 5. Okay, so John gives us a little more information here about the millennium. And he mentions the rest of the dead. And who's that? Well, he speaks of the rest of the dead unbelievers. Those who did not believe in Christ, those who did not embrace uh, Jesus' atonement for sin, those who rejected Him and His work on the cross from all the ages in the past. So these unbelievers did not come to life. Now that's in contrast to where uh, God brought to life or resurrected the tribulation saints. These guys did not come back to life until when? The end of the thousand years. At the end of the thousand years, they're going to be brought to life. They're going to come back. And and what is that? This is all strange, I know. This is all different. And, and like, wait, wait, wait what, what is that? Uh, well, when... All This is when all the dead believers throughout all the ages are brought up before God to be judged. This is what is known as, and what we will see at the end of Revelation 20, the great white throne judgment. That is what it's speaking about. At the end of the thousand years will be that, what we heard about, where everyone is judged before God, stands before God, and will be judged for their, their works basically um, rejecting Jesus at that moment. So that's what this is talking about, that these guys aren't brought forward, yeah, aren't brought to God. They don't come back to life. We'll talk about more of that there. And so only believers at the end of verse 5, um, they are the only ones part of the first resurrection. And what is that referring to? Receiving your glorified body. Uh, like the tribulation saints, they partook, took part in the first resurrection, which is receiving your glorified bodies. So when we read first resurrection, does that mean there's like a second resurrection? Um, if there's a first Yes, that refers to what was just talked about here, that they, are, they come to life at the end of the thousand years. That's the second resurrection. But this refers to really the dead believers who are brought to life to face God in that time of judgment. Again, we'll get to that in a few weeks when we get into the more detail, uh, when we come to that passage of the white throne judgment, but just understand that much for now. So, 
Here's, here's the thing I want you to see, though. What we come to clearly understand here is that, first of all, here, in the millennium, there will be no unbelievers. It will be a new society made up of believers. That's what you have to really understand here. That um, we're ruling and, and reigning, yes, but also on the earth, all unbelievers, it's, it's no more. And let me explain this to you. Uh, back in Matthew chapter 25, if you remember at the end there, in verses 31 to 46, Jesus talked about how when he returns, he will separate the sheep from the goats. Remember that? The sheep are the believers, the goats are unbelievers, they're the ones who are not saved. He gave some similar parables, I was just reading this week in my uh, regular reading, in Matthew 13, he talked about a dragnet. There's good fish and bad fish fish and he actually said well at the end of the age the angels are going to gather up the bad fish and they're going to be thrown into eternal punishment well that's the same idea Matthew 25 the sheep go on to live in the new kingdom but the goats will in verse 46 of Matthew 25 says go away into eternal punishment so at this time when Jesus returns and when the millennium begins, there will be no unbelievers. It will be all believers. Now after Armageddon, we know the armies of the Antichrist and, and armies of the world who come against Jesus are all killed, right? The vultures we talked about, you know, they're ready to devour the, the flesh. So, so they're, they're, they're killed. But think about it, there's still some people left alive on the earth. Though, after all the calamity, the, the seal, the trumpets, the bowls, the judgments that have fallen, we know a lot of people die to famine, disease, and all the you know, cataclysmic, cataclysmic events, earthquakes, all this stuff, right? A lot of people, the population is going to be down, but there's still going to be some unbelieving people left alive on the planet, so in Matthew 25, Jesus talks about basically there's going to be two main groups. The goats, unbelievers, who are going to be cast into eternal punishment. Yeah, they're, um, they're not going to be there living on the earth. And the sheep, now the sheep is going to include these believers. You remember the 144,000 Jewish witnesses, right? who went out and witnessed to the Jews in Revelation 14. They were protected from the Antichrist and death. We talked about also the Jewish believers in Jesus who were protected from harm of the Antichrist. Uh, Revelation 13, from death, probably, I believe, in that area of Petra there, right? Protected. They're, they're alive there. They're still alive. And then, who knows, there might be a few surviving tribulation saints still, which is other Gentiles. So uh, some commentators believe not all the tribulation saints, the Gentile guys will be, they're, they're going to be dead. There's going to be a full-on you know, campaign by the Antichrist to kill any of the believers, but they can't get to these Jews. Well, the believing Jews. But either way, there's going to be some people still alive. And those who have rejected Jesus, who have taken the mark, who worship and acknowledge the Antichrist as God, they're not going to be there. They're going to be removed. And so in the millennium, there are going to be no unbelievers. And even the dead, they're, they're not going to be brought to life again. That's going to be at the end of the thousand years. So this means not only Satan is removed, but also the unbelievers left on earth after Armageddon, they're removed also. There is no more anyone 
that is on the planet against Jesus. So, not only do we have a new government, but a new society emerges during the millennium. Think about it this way. Remember I talked about when the tribulation started? There's no believers, right? Because the rapture took the church and all the believers. After the rapture, when the tribulation starts, then people get saved. But right at that moment when the tribulation first starts, no believers. Well, when the millennium starts, there's no unbelievers. So it's either sheep or goats, yeah, here. It's only believers here. Understand this, there's no neutral ground when it comes to God and Jesus, right? You're either with Him or against Him, Luke 11, 23. The question really is to ask, where are you today? Well, verse 6, let's go on to verse 6, our final verse here. We see here, Blessed and holy is the one who shares in the first resurrection. Over such the second death has no power, but they will be priests of God and of Christ, and they will reign with Him for, there it is again, a thousand years. So now with the millennium starting without any human sinfulness, it, it's, it's going to be a thousand years of no more Satan and his works and evil works and his influence. So what's written here is blessed. Yeah. Oh, happy. Oh, how wonderful. How, how incredible and fulfilled time this will be. It will be holy. It will be pure. Yeah. No evil of Satan. No sinful evil of human beings. Nothing at all. When it starts, it's going to be a pure, wonderful time with God ruling on the earth. Now, we read here, blessed and holy is the one who shares the first resurrection, right? It's everyone with the glorified bodies, you know? Um, blessed are they, because they're going to be part of all this, part of the millennium going on. Over such that, verse 6 says, the second death has no power. Now, what's the second death now? We're like, well, first resurrection, second resurrection, first death, second death. Well, the, the, the first death, you know, is when we die uh, uh, bodily, uh, physically when we die. The second death, again, we're going to see this at the end of chapter 20, is actually when the unbelievers are judged and uh, uh, before God, the white throne judgment, and then they are eternally banished to uh, in hell for eternity. That's the second death, when their soul is cast into hell. First uh, death is when we die physically, but the second death is when we're cast into, when unbelievers are cast into hell. So, blessed, holy, yeah, that we have our glorified bodies and, and that the second death has no power. We, we've been saved. Uh, we've been atoned for by the blood of Christ. But they will be, and again, believers, now notice, priests of God. Not only judges, what's added to this year is we're going to be priests of God and of Christ. In other words, we're going to be spiritual leaders also here. And we're going to reign with them, not just in His administration, of government, but also in the spiritual leadership of God's temple and worship of God. Understand, during the millennium, uh, Jerusalem is going to be the center of the whole world, Israel, right? 
the Jews will be back in the land as God has promised all throughout the Old Testament. Jerusalem, in the millennium, we re- read prophecies of this in the Old Testament, is, is the center of the world, and there there will be a temple, actually. And there the world will come and worship God and Jesus Christ, and, and Jerusalem will be the center of government and is also be the center of spiritual worship. And we're going to be helping in all of that. I don't know if we're going to have be like part of satellite, you know, locations like they had synagogues, you know, uh, from the temple, you know, all over the world where uh, we'll have little worship centers or, you know, churches and we're going to be helping in the spiritual leadership in, in that way. But glorified believers will be both government and leadership and spiritual leaders in Jesus Christ. So I want to bring you to this thought with this in mind now. We talked about there's still people alive physically, right? But then we have our glorified bodies and the tribulation saints. We're going to be helping out here. So glorified believers will be leaders over the believers still living on the earth. That, that, that's what's going to be going on. So believers with the earthly bodies will coexist with believers with heavenly bodies. We're going to be all together in the millennium. It's, it, we'll be part of the leadership, but the other believers still alive on the earth physically, we're going to be together, living together on, you know what, a renovated planet. So you understand there's a new government, new society, new setup of, of spiritual worship and, and everything. But there's also, and their new society and all, but there's going to be this, this beautiful earth too. And I just want to throw in here um, why it's blessed, why we will be blessed in and it will be holy in the millennium. We know that from uh, Old Testament scriptures, the earth will be restored. Isaiah 35, 6 and 7 talks about the waters break forth in the wilderness, streams in the desert, the burning sand become a pool, and the thirsty ground springs of water. It's going to be like paradise. It's going to be like going back to, to Genesis in the beginning. The animals will all be tame. You heard the uh, scriptures like Isaiah 11, where the wolf shall dwell with the lamb, and the leopard shall lie down with the young goat, the calf and the lion, and the fatted calf together. A little child will lead them, right? Uh, you, you, you've probably heard the nurse child, the baby who shall play with the, over the hole of the cobra. Yeah, The weaned child shall put his hand on the adder's den, a, a, a poisonous snake den. You know, it's kind of like, oh no, Junior, oh look, Junior's playing, you know, with that rattlesnake again, you know, kind of thing. Oh, have fun. It's going to be a whole different world. We know in Isaiah 35, sickness and disease is abolished. We, we understand that people are going to live a long time in Isaiah 65, 20. It says, no more shall there be an infant who who lives but a few days or an old man who does not fill out his days for the young man shall die a hundred years old and a sinner a hundred years old shall uh, uh, well let me skip that but anyway uh, we're going to live long yeah we're going to live long and, and as we talked about Isaiah 2 4 that there will be world peace finally so our second and last point is this. This is the blessing, the renovated planet. During the millennium, the paradise that was lost to sin is now restored when Jesus returns. And that's why we're blessed. 
That's why. In 1516, Sir Thomas More wrote a book about an imaginary island where everyone lived together in peace and harmony. The government on this paradise island ruled over the people with justice and fairness and equity. There was no poverty, suffering, hungry. Everything was perfect. So Thomas More gave the island paradise a name that was made up of two Greek words, Oru and Topos, and we get our English word, utopia, from that. That was the title of the book. But there's one way that's going to happen, and that's when Jesus comes and rules and reigns. So what was lost in Genesis, the paradise, it will now be restored when Jesus returns. You know, I was thinking, and my mind was flowing that song, right? A wonderful world. Right, what a wonderful world. I see trees of green and roses too. I see them bloom for me and you, and I think to myself, what a wonderful world. I see skies of blue and clouds of white, the bright blessed day, the dark sacred night. And I think to myself, what a wonderful world. And what a wonderful world it's gonna be. You know, I was I was thinking about how it's funny, us older guys, we, we think about like how I think about how my grandchildren, they're not going to know what a cassette tape is, yeah? Right? Or, or a, a videotape. How about beta tape? You guys remember that? Yeah? Or maybe they won't know, oh, what's a, you know, Grandpa, what's a pay phone? <laughs> right? Or, or even, well, record players are making come, comeback, but how about a pager? I remember carrying a pager, you know? Or do you remember PDAs, you know, when they came out? Yeah, even those things are, you know, maybe um, uh, our grandkids or their grandkids are going to think that, wow, gasoline cars, they're like classic automobiles, you know, because everything could be electric. But we're coming, you know, we're moving into society as technology moves forward into a, a completely different society. But think about this world, the millennium. What a wonderful world that will be when evil is forgotten and there's no more sin and there's a renovated earth. I'll close with this. John Phillips in his commentary talks of a schoolboy during the millennium reading this ancient book uh, uh, during the second half of the millennium, reading this ancient book and he turns to his father and says, hey dad what is, and he tries to pronounce uh, intercontinental ballistic missile. To which the father replies, go ask your mother. He goes to the mother and asks her the same question. She replies, I don't know, maybe it was some kind of cabbage back then. Uh, go ask your dad, you know, the typical responses. But then John Philip writes, what a day that will be when those things are forgotten. And it's true. And so... We look forward to that day as we've read in Revelation 20. We look forward to a whole new world. Let's pray. Uh, let's all stand, actually. God, we stand before you. and God, we thank you that one day you will return and you will restore this earth. That it will be a renovated planet, a whole new government and society, Lord. And that Satan will be gone, his demons uh, we. Uh, can assume will be thrown God into prison too we, the Antichrist Lord all the evil in the world will be gone uh, and only 
those who believe in you, God, we will be living all together. And it, that is definitely a whole new world. And so, God, we, we look to you because we, only, we know that only you can do these things, God. And we look to you knowing that if you can do this in the future, then you can do that in our lives. And I pray for anyone here today that has never received you, that they would do that very thing as, as we sing, that they will call out to you and ask you into their heart and, and seek your forgiveness and cleansing as they repent before you. And so may they acknowledge you as Lord God and their Savior. And I pray for any of us here have been struggling in our walks, Lord, that, that has Satan been pressing down hard, God, that we would see that one day his end is coming and that we would hang on, put on the armor every day, and no matter what the struggle is, knowing in the end you win and you will bring in a whole new world. Thank you, Jesus, in your name. Amen.